Hello and welcome back to the Part-Time Gaffers podcast. I'm David. And I'm Delish. And there were some crazy matches this week, and that includes Kevin De Bruyne scoring four goals as Man City dominate Wolves. We'll get yeah, to that soon. Yeah, you heard that right. <laughs> yeah, honestly, like I, I feel like I'd heard that wrong, because that just doesn't happen nowadays. You don't really see players scoring that many goals. Um, then we've got some transfer news, some transfer rumours are heating up, and Arsenal is usually at the centre of it, and I'll never understand why. The journalists just love to pin every transfer in Europe on us. And then we've got Arsenal versus Tottenham happening in just a few hours' time. Uh, Delish, are you excited about this? I'm pumped for Arsenal to absolutely pummel Tottenham. I'm so salty from them taking points away from us a couple game weeks ago, so can't wait for you guys to just do a job on them, put them back in their place out of the top four. <laughs> well, I can tell you that might be the only thing we agree on this podcast, but it's the only thing that matters. We both want Arsenal to smash Tottenham today. I think it'll happen, but I am cautious. So we'll be talking about that soon and some build up towards that match. And as usual, finishing off with some quick five predictions and seeing how we came out and fared last week. Let's get to it. <laughs> Welcome back. And Delesh, start us off. We saw Liverpool go up against Tottenham, unfortunately end up with the draw, which hurts the title chase and doesn't quite keep the hopes alive. What went wrong? Well, in all honesty, I think Tottenham just outplayed us. I'm not sure. They, I'm, I'm not really even going to go too much into it because I'm, I'm still hurting from this draw, even though it's now what, five or six days after the fact. But they had the better of us in this game. We just didn't really show up at all. Uh, weren't creating enough. They were too much of a threat on the counter. And in all honesty, I think any rational Liverpool fan will admit that we were lucky to come away with this draw. Um, Luis Diaz scoring a screamer from outside of the box, but it did take a wicked deflection off can't remember who it took a deflection off, but it was a fairly lucky goal for us to score and to snatch a point from this one. So, yeah, honestly, well played to Tottenham. Klopp obviously gave uh, Conte a bit of lip about the style of football that they played in this game. But honestly, it was a similar style to what Everton did, but they did genuinely have a good, good threat going forward. And yeah. Honestly, just hats off to them. But like you say, just definitely dents the, the title chances going forward. Can't see City slipping up twice before the end of the season. So we really needed to just keep on putting the pressure on them. But it was not to be. Yeah, not to be might be the motto of your guys' season because there's not much you could have done better. It's <laughs> It's been a very good season. You know, uh, all things considered. You know what's actually scary about this season is we very well might come out of it with just one trophy. Like, for, for all the talk and for all the hype of the quadruple, and it has been fun to be on that bus, we very well might still come out of this with just one trophy. And it might be the Carabao Cup. <laughs> of all things. <laughs> yeah. Look, it is It is so. true. It is possible. Um there are some teams who would die to be in that position, but I do understand, as a Liverpool fan, you have higher standards at the moment. So, after all that talk, it would be good to get at least two. I think you guys will get at least two. Um, four is definitely a stretch now, and three would be a bit of a, a miracle, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think, obviously, the third one at the moment is looking likely to be the Champions League at the end of the month, but... Yeah, one thing at a time. Got to get through Chelsea in the FA Cup final on Sunday. So we'll focus on that thing and one well, game at a time. We can talk more about the Champions League once the Premier League season is finished because we'll need some good content for our podcast. But I, I will forecast and say I do think that Real Madrid is going to take it home. It's not because I want them to. I just can't see Benzema not winning the Champions League this season. <laughs> Man is having everything go his way. Um, yeah, and I, I also saw Conte actually come out and defend his team uh, in an interview because he heard what Klopp said about the way they played. So, uh, 
look, I, I think every manager is going to defend their team. That's just what you do. But I, I do hear where Klopp's coming from. Yeah, honestly, fair play to Conte. Um, he he said it in a very respectful way as well. Like he wasn't, he was taking a dig, but he wasn't, he wasn't mean about it. And in all, in all honesty, he he has a point. <laughs> so I can't can't really rip him for for his response. Um, but what makes all of this hurt even more is seeing City score ten goals in two games over the course of a week. That that that's just a dagger to the heart. Like they've stuck a dagger in Liverpool fans' hearts and now they're starting to twist. Because the only other thing that we had going for us only four game weeks ago was looking at the table, looking at that goal difference column and seeing that we were about five goals ahead of them in terms of goal difference. And not only has that been slashed, but they're probably at a plus seven right now. If I quickly look at the table, they're at a plus three. Felt like a lot more than that. No, sorry, I am right. They're at a plus seven. I was looking at points. So, yeah. E- even if they did slip up, let's say a miracle happens and they lose a game before the end of the season, we would only be able to level them on points and they win it on goal difference anyway at this rate. So, yeah, fair play to them. And part of that was Kevin De Bruyne somehow scoring four goals. Unbelievable. Dude, I I genuinely think this this raises the question. Is Kevin De Bruyne the best midfielder in the world right now? That's, I mean, there are lots of really good midfielders in the world right now. But on his day, he's definitely the best. There's no one, there's no one midfielder. And and we try and take out of this midfielders who kind of play on the wing slash play as a false nine, blah, blah, blah. He is a genuine center midfielder. Admittedly, he plays a bit high every now and again, but... There's no one player that I can think of who can drive a team forward with so much consistency, so much power, so much authority during a game than Kevin De Bruyne. It's Mm. just, he just has a way of marching around a football pitch and you just can't stop him. It's unbelievable. Yeah, Uh, I definitely agree with that. I think he makes himself known and he has this presence where many other midfielders can easily disappear, but De Bruyne takes control of the game so well. Um, I I understand there's other good midfielders, there's other great midfielders around right now, but when I look at the landscape across Europe, wow, that's a big word, throwing out landscape like that, but when, <laughs> when I do, when I do, I struggle to see anyone quite on his level. Someone who... Because, I mean, uh, th- there's so many different types of midfielders. You've got your holding, you've got your box-to-box, you're attacking, you're creative. Um, you're basically second strikers. But, like, De Bruyne plays all of those roles and he does all of them at a near-world-class level. And that's what I think is so astounding about him. I, I can't fault him. He is like, He is like if you crafted a midfielder... Like and you sculpted him. <laughs> if From if you a got Mike of stone, literally, if, if you got Michelangelo to do it, he couldn't do it any better than Kevin De Bruyne's parents, right? Now. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, honestly, someone needs to go give them a present and just say thanks because, like, they have produced the ideal specimen of a midfielder. And so, let's say like you're ranking all the attributes of a midfielder out of a hundred. Sure, he's not the best at everything, but in terms of being a jack of all trades, he is he is pretty much the best you can get. So for me, I think he's actually the best midfielder in the world right now. Um, and I think that with Haaland next season, we can we can get to this when we talk about transfers. I think they're going to be lethal together. Um, but yeah, so you so you pretty much don't think that Liverpool can catch Man City. This season, you you what, Not, if you had to put a percentage chance in it, what would it be and why? Oh, uh, honestly, I'm saying more than ninety percent chance right now that City win the league. I'm I'm I've actually put it down to us needing a miracle because that's what we need. the The form that they're in, like I say, they've scored ten goals 
in two games over the course of a week. They don't have any other competitions to focus on. They're going to solely just be going ham every single game week on the league, trying to smash it, and they will. So for me at this rate, honestly, 95% chance that City win this. Because I look at the way we've been playing, especially over the past two weeks, slipped up big time against Villarreal, had to come back, had next to no creativity against a Tottenham defensive block a couple games ago, and we just squeezed past Aston Villa a couple of days ago as well to win 2-1. Um, so yeah, I, I think... It's it's a bit unfortunate, but we seem to be having a little bit of a lull in form. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, t- yeah. Last thing I'll say on it is our front four. They've been amazing at different points throughout the year. Obviously, Sally had a fantastic start to the season. Money wasn't so good when they kind of dropped off. Jota was picking up the slack, especially in Carabao Cup, FA Cup, um, and then when Bobby Firmino gets injured, when all of them are a bit low on form. We signed Diaz. He's been great. But he is, I would say, him and Mane are our only two in-form strikers at the moment or forward players. Because Firmino, not sure when he's going to play. I think he's just come into training about a week ago and he was on the bench for the first time against Aston Villa. About S- a week ago. Week <coughs> ago. Week ago. Salah has dropped off a cliff about four months ago, four months ago. And yeah, we're just and and Jota, he's he fell off a cliff about two months ago as well. So <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 actually a bit worried going into these last whatever five four or five games of the season that we have left. But mm. hoping hoping we can scrape through. Yeah, and uh, maybe I'll say this for another week. But um, I would love to chat to you about how reliant Liverpool seem to be on Salah's form. I'm not saying that that you can't win without Salah. It's just that his form makes a very big difference to how you guys play. Um, but I think I think that's best left for its own segment. Yeah, I uh, could talk for days about that. And um, not to not to push you too hard for a number here, but you said over ninety percent chance. Just just tease me here. Throw a number out there. What what would it be? Over ninety ninety what? Oh, I I amended that to over ninety five percent. I'll say ninety five percent chance that City well, win the league from here. Let me say something. Your stats degree came in useful because you were just two percent off five thirty eight's statistical model prediction. They gave Man City ninety three percent chance of winning the league. So what we've learned today is that you putting your finger in the air is is about as good as the full thought out Bayesian model of five thirty eight. What can I say? I just did that in my brain. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if I can back it up in the prediction section, eh? <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. Um, now, I, I honestly think we should give United a break and not go too hard on them for once. But, man, they don't make it easy. Brighton schooled <laughs> them for nothing. And, I mean, for, for me watching this, it's like... I, I've said this for a while. Brighton are such a good team. They have such a good strategy, formation, game plan, everything. They just don't have the level of players to execute it to get into the top four. But the way they play is fantastic. And you had, I'd say, behind Liverpool and City, I'd say they're third in terms of how much they can stick to their game plan and how well they execute it. And so you had a disciplined team in Brighton going up against a United team who literally, I, I've been seeing highlights from the last couple of weeks, the players don't want the ball. They they park themselves behind defenders so that the other players can't pass to them. Like, no one wants to be running with the ball. No one wants to be passing. And when you, when you have a team like Brighton go up against that, I'm really actually not surprised it was 4-0. Yeah, and it was 4-0 within 60 minutes, and it probably should have been more. And that says a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, we listen, I agree. We won't rat on United too much, but the one stat that I'll throw out there is I think United have had more f- losses by four goals or more this season than they had the 
during Sir Alex Ferguson's entire reign as manager. You're kidding. Uh, no. <laughs> is that an actual stat? That's an actual stat. Wow. That is very difficult to believe. And you've actually inspired me. I just, on my on my light rail home, I saw a TikTok um, with a good stat about United. So I'm going to throw one back at you. Are you ready? Go on. So uh, I've made it very well known on this podcast that I think Jose Mourinho should never have been let go from the manager position at Man United. And here's a stat for that. Jose Mourinho only lost four Premier League games at Old Trafford as the Man United manager while having to play Phil Jones, Ashley Young, Smalling and Valencia at the back, and Fellaini as CDM. How did the English media convince everyone to believe he was the problem? I have no idea, but it's all about narrative, right? And... Ah... Mourinho, Mourinho kind of does it to himself <laughs> with, the, with, the, with the way that he interacts with the media. So, yeah, he's, he's a great manager. He's not a good media manager. We'll put it that way. That's true. I, I think it's, 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 as far as media managers go, Klopp's probably one of the best you can get. Uh, he's, yeah, he has a good joke with them. He does get a bit testy, though. Yeah, he, he like, some days like, he's on his uh, period. <laughs> Like, have you ever heard him when they're trying to ask him about, ask him a question about transfer policy? And he's like, you guys know I'm not telling you anything. Why do you bother trying to ask? But yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah, that's just the game that the media and managers play, really. <laughs> well, nothing will top 2013, final day of the transfer window. The media asking Arsene Wenger, is there going to be a deadline day signing? And he says he can't say anything, but that famous smirk comes across his face <laughs> right before he si- announces that Mesut Ozil is signed. <laughs> um, oh, what a time. And just before we move on to Arsenal, uh, back to Brighton for a sec. Did you see what happened at Brighton's awards ceremony for their first team players? Yeah. Are you talking about the Kukurea quote? Yes. <laughs> Mark Kukurea saying... Hey, Gaffer, next season put me on the bench. I don't like speaking English. <laughs> this was after he won, what was it, their most improved? or the No, player of the season. The player of the season, damn. Yeah. <laughs> what a guy, what a reaction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. But um, he's actually been fantastic. If you look at, he's one of those Brighton players that's really flown under the radar um, I'm going to use the word again uh, on the landscape of fullbacks in the Premier League <laughs> because if you look at all the metrics and you like recently fans have loved plotting uh, like um, k- ball carries and pa- against passes completed right or something like that mm-hmm. and if you look at all of those kind of metrics Cucurella is up there near Alexander Arnold and Canseo. Um, with his metrics. So he's very underrated. He's If he was at a big team, I genuinely think he would be called one of the best fullbacks in the world behind those other two. Yeah, it's all about system. He does love getting forward. He's he's a massive outlet for that Brighton team. And he just, he has the desire to score goals. My My guess is that he was probably a left winger or something as a kid. And then he's just been converted to well, yeah, a left back or a left wing <laughs> back. And so in his heart of hearts, he just, he just wants to be up there scoring goals, just skinning people, putting them on their <laughs> bums. But instead he's like at the other end of the pitch, just <laughs> looking for an opportunity to sprint up. <laughs> you know, that's actually an interesting point you raised because I was having this chat with someone the other day and like I genuinely think that besides goalkeepers and centre-backs in professional football – Every other player on the pitch, like I'd say 90% of them started out as a kid as a striker because typically whoever your best player is when you're in kids' teams, you just make them striker. And so I feel like those best players then just go from being striker and moved around the pitch. I'd love to see what the stats on that are. Yeah, so you get like an extended history of positions that everyone's played. Oh, Mm. man, what we could do with some good football data. (laughs) But um, most importantly for Mark Cucurella is not that he was one player of the season for Brighton. It is that he has the coolest last name in the Premier League. <laughs> I I really just don't understand why I don't hear Brighton fans chanting, 
every single week. Cucurella, cucurella, na 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 na. Yeah, they need a chant for him. Yeah, dude, if he was at Arsenal, Liverpool, he'd either be nicknamed like crazy, or <laughs> or um or he'd made a, a song hero. about. He would be a cult hero by now at Liverpool. Dude, you guys would call him Cuckoo. Hit it, Cuckoo, hit it. He's going to go Cuckoo on your ass. <laughs> um, and then looking at Arsenal, honestly, um, strong open. Niketia, two goals. Um, he was gifted one. Yeah, and he almost had a hat trick. Yeah, it's, it, it was a Martinelli cross from memory. It was just slightly too high for him. Yeah, and man, if he got to that, that would have been a beautiful hat trick. Very quick one. Um, for me, that first goal was decent. Like it's, it's just being a good striker. But the sec and for those who didn't watch, he just rushed the opposition goalkeeper and got a classic tap in. Um, but that second goal was classic Arsenal. Martinelli, I believe, played that ball in, um, made its way to Nketiah, who slotted it home. Um, just beautiful, not. Quite tiki taka, but tiki taka esque style. Yeah, Arsenal have been in form uh, since you guys had what those three losses on the bounce, so bounced back well from that. And yeah, looking to finish the season strong. If you guys play the way you have the past couple games, fourth spot is yours. So. Yeah, we can only hope. One thing about us is we like to be consistent. We we don't we don't do the whole Tottenham win one lose one. You don't know. We like to get our losses out of our system, <laughs> batches of three or so, and then we go on a good run of form. So I'm hoping that does continue until the end of the season. Um, but interestingly, I don't know if you know this. So you saw how Ailing got a red card for Leeds. Yeah. So. Surely we can both agree that was one of the stupidest red cards you've ever seen in terms of why the player did that. Yeah, I saw the replay. Just no need to go in with a two-footed tackle like that. And I think because Leeds have had now two red cards in their past two games, and I think the whole situation of them in a relegation battle is starting to get to a couple of the players. Like They're just being a bit overzealous and just just diving into things rushing things a bit too much and the only thing I can put it down to is the the position that they're in with the relegation battle and it's just starting to play with people's head in that squad yeah yeah it is I mean you'd hope that's the reason and not that they just want to go on their little holidays earlier Um, and they've accepted their fate (laughs) ouch yeah, but anyway, the fun fact I wanted to share is that, did you know Ailing was in the Arsenal Academy? Was he? Yeah, so some people have been joking about how uh, he's actually, like like all good jokes about Arsene Wenger doing things years in advance, Wenger made sure that Ailing was sold to Leeds just so that he would get the red card against us and help us seal the deal by allowing us to win at Tottenham to get Champions League football again. <laughs> Mate, Wingers, he sees further into the future than most people. So I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> well, honestly, like, uh, there's, I understand that there's bound to be a number of statistical interesting facts that come out of a manager being somewhere for 20 years. But I feel like this, it's gotten to the point where there's genuinely just too many for it to be chance. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're looking for some statistical significance here. <laughs> we're gonna have to dig pretty far to find it, but we might just find it. All I'm saying is, I want a p value, and I'll allow it to be significant at the twenty percent level. <laughs> Speaking of p values, uh, probability of Everton staying up has shot up in the past couple weeks. With a su- well, like mostly driven by a surprise win against Leicester. Mm. Who would have thought? Specifically, that probability is 94%, according to 538. <laughs> yeah, according to the big data model. I um, mean, if you were going to put your finger in the air, what would you have said? Oh, well, eh, you can't prime me with the 538 number. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you said prime me as well. 
Yeah, I would have said 98% too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I would have said a solid solid 80%. Yeah, so how do you feel about that? Do you um are you happy that Everton are probably gonna stay up now? I'm guessing not. No, I was always happy. I always wanted them to stay up. I think it <laughs> That is such sad. nonsense. Well, okay. Mm, no, I think I've no, you're right. I have swayed a bit. But that was only because they were absolute shits when they played against us. Mm. Um I think I've since cooled down <laughs> and yeah, it it will be a bit sad for them to go down. Um, just for the city of Liverpool, we need them to uphold, uphold their end of the bargain and and stay in the top flight. Don't let the city down. Yeah, someone plus, someone needs to keep you on your toes. Plus, can you imagine the England goalkeeper playing in a championship? I mean, yeah. he'd he'd surely be dropped. But at that well, point, you have to wonder. That's a great question. Would they drop Pickford even if he was still a good goalkeeper? I, I think at that point, it comes down to favourites with the national manager, mm. because he has been really solid for England. But as a as a national coach, can you justify having a player who's not playing against the best players week in and week out? I don't know yeah, if could. Th- that's true. You need them to be constantly tested. Um, and, uh, you know, it's interesting. I, one of my reasons I didn't want them to go down is I do like having those, like, few teams in the league who have stayed in the Premier League since it was <laughs> conceived. And, interestingly, I realized this week I completely forgot that Aston Villa were relegated for, like, two seasons. Were they? Did you forget about this, too? Yeah. Yeah, so, so I think sad. it was 2016 they went down and they came back in 2018. True. Was this around the years of Gabby Agbalmohor? I think it was just as he was making his way into uh, retirement. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's also Jack Grealish made a good name for himself in the championship. That's actually where he kind of started launching his career properly. Cray cray. Yeah, very cray cray. Um, speaking of Pickford, though, he is literally at times quite literally single-handedly keeping Everton in the Premier League. I don't know if you've seen the highlights, but in both of their games, he's made stunning saves from point-blank range. And he's he's literally single-handedly keeping Everton in the Premier League. I know there was a save the other week, which we highlighted, and we we picked it out and kind of called it out as being the one save that could potentially keep Everton up. He's doing it on a weekly basis now. <laughs> like, Frank Lampard has a lot to owe to Jordan Pickford at the moment. Yeah, I think um, it's he's giving Everton a bit of a get-out-of-jail-free card here because ultimately they haven't improved their game that much. He's just... he it, Pickford's taken it upon himself to say, look, we're not going to score that many more goals... We need to we need to flip this on its head and try stay up from the other perspective. Let's concede less, um, and he's doing an incredible job of it. And I realize what I just said is just an a, a, like a analogy for well, if you want to win the game, you got to score more goals than than the opposition, <laughs> which which is the, the stupidest clap. slow clap, which is the stupidest yet my favorite quote in football. Um, but it is true, and you can't fault it. It is true, and it, it it will win you the game. Can we also have a shout-out to Mikalenko for his insane volley against Leicester to open the scoring? I don't know if you saw the goal, but he gets a lofted cross to the edge of the box, and he absolutely lasers it in to the bottom right corner. Yeah, was, I did see. It was Marcus Alonso-esque. Okay, we've got, you know we've got a problem when we're describing anything as Marco Alonso-esque. What? He's a good goal-scoring left back. Sure, I just don't think he's earned himself the right to be referred to when you're, when you're looking at <laughs> As a goals. comparison. Yeah, like say, say Roberto Carlos-esque maybe. Well, I mean, it was okay, but it wasn't Roberto Carlos good. That's fair, that's just, fair. 
I'd give it a Van Persie. Maybe a Van Persie. Okay. I'll, I'll allow it. I'll allow it. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, was there much else that's happened? Uh, West Ham seemed to be dominant for the first time since, like, match week seven or eight. Because looking at that scoreline, it makes you realise you don't remember the last time West Ham, like, scored four goals in a game. Yeah. Have they even done it this season, to be honest? <laughs> yeah, up until game week, like... Seven or eight, they were near the top of the table. Do you not remember this? I do, Antonio I do. had a huge yeah. run of form. Yeah, they were winning games consistently and then just kind of did nothing for the middle part of the season. Yeah. Not sure what happened, but they're back. <laughs> Newsflash, they're back. <laughs> Moise. <laughs> but yeah, they seem to be solid. They're not really playing for too much right now, are they? There's, um, yeah, there's, there's, you're just fighting it out, really, between Europa and Conference League, to be honest. So, yeah, honestly, I think they could beat United to the Europa. Um, I hope they do. I like nothing more than see to see Man United back in the Conference League. Amen to that. <laughs> From Champions League to Conference League in a season. <laughs> okay. And on that note, um, how about we talk about some of those transfers that have been keeping us addicted to Twitter? Welcome back. And Delish, why don't you start us off? What is the number one transfer rumor that's keeping you up at night right now? Oh, I mean it's not it's not even a transfer rumor. It's 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 the transfer that's been done. It's the done deal of Holland to City, which is legit keeping me up at night. Because <laughs> City City are about to win the league without a dedicated striker, forward player in their squad. They scored 10 goals in two games without a forward in their squad. They've been playing little Phil Foden at false nine. <laughs> and they scored 10 goals in two games. And they're about to add arguably the most lethal striker in the Bundesliga. I don't even think there needs to be an argument. I haven't seen the stats. Oh, well, okay, apart from... Lewandowski, but <laughs> the, okay, it's not an argument because we agree that Lewandowski is the best. But the second best forward in the Bundesliga is about to join City. He has the most potent Champions League goal-scoring record for an under twenty under twenty-three year old. He's currently got the most under twenty-three goals in the Champions League. He is the guy that they need, and they have him, and it's scary. It is scary, and I have to be honest, when I said keeping you up at night, I actually meant in a good way, like you're excited, but it seems like you're just having nightmares, uh, rolling in your sleep at the thought of Haaland and De Bruyne connecting to score hat-tricks every single game. Legit nightmares about Haaland out-jumping our giraffe to literally every header that City bomb forward. Yeah, it's dude, scary. I, dude, it is a scary thought. Uh, I'm quite scared. Um, I I do love the idea of having Haaland in the Premier League. A little bit of me unrealistically thought Arsenal could get him because Erdegaard and him are very close friends. But uh, I understand that that wasn't realistic. <laughs> um, and I mean, Haaland's dad played for City, right? So I think, I think it makes sense. Yeah, it was written in the stars, to be honest. But City, the oil merchants, we, we don't know what the fee for Haaland is yet, but they're about to spill out 200 mil over two summers for top-class marquee signing, forward signings, um, which, is, which is nuts. Well, apparently, apparently they're selling um, Grealish. Are they? Well, it's just a rumor, but I, I was doing some doing some reading and there's rumors that because Grealish doesn't quite fit the system, they want to offload him now rather than hold on to him because what they've noticed, I mean, look, I'm not saying Grealish isn't a good player. I think he's actually been fantastic at city this season, but there's one issue and that's when you're playing for Pep Guardiola, you have to fit the system and Grealish his whole life since he was young has grown up 
and played a style of football where you, he gets the ball and he takes the man on and dribbles, and he does it so well. I'd say he's one of the best at doing it in the world. But that's not the city system. The city system is get the ball, look, turn, pass. Yes, some people can take on their man, but you, should, you, you shouldn't be just doing that. And yet that's the only thing Grealish really does. Um, so I think that I wouldn't be surprised, at least, if Grealish is sold this summer. Um, a, to help balance the books, not like they need it, but B, just to help City settle back into their normal system. I think if there's going to be a transfer that helps them to balance the books, as you say, it's going to be the exciting one that's on the tip of your tongue of Jesus going to Arsenal. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're not going to pay heaps for him. I'll put I'll put that out really right now. Um, I, I, I think I'm very excited about this. We briefly spoke about this last week, so I don't need to say too much on it. But he fits the system perfectly. And I think that there's mutual benefit in this deal for City and for Arsenal. City getting Haaland takes them to being a clear world-class team. Obviously, they're already there, but to be that world-class team, they need that out-and-out striker, that lethal, deadly guy who can do anything in the box. And Jesus is fitting into Arsenal's system where he's actually that central point. He's good at passing. He's got Brazilian chemistry with other players. He's just a natural fit. And he's going to take us from being a competitive team into a contender to pressure City next season. That's what I think. I don't think we're winning the league. Don't get me wrong. But I think we can We'll help. save that for the season after, right? Yeah, we will. <laughs> <laughs> but all I'm saying is I think we can help Liverpool in pressuring City next season with Jesus as our key central striker because he has all the tools that we need to that he needs to get 20 plus goals next season he just needs the service yeah totally agree he's premier league tested and champions league tested for you guys as well so yeah amazing fit in terms of situation and team the, yeah the other ones that i wanted to quickly talk about were frankie de jong is touted to leave barcelona and join uh, Eric Ten Hag at Manchester United next season. So that they obviously have a history. Um, I think Ten Hag's managed Frankie de Jong previously at Ajax. And yeah, I think that's, that's just going to obviously improve that Manchester United midfield. I think that in combination with uh, Donny van der Beek coming back to the squad, because I think he's only on loan, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, so you'd expect him to be back in the fold with that Manchester United squad next season. And, yeah, if the De Jong transfer ends up happening, they're going to have gonna have a, an abundance of riches in that midfield unit. Do you think this is a good transfer for, for, um, for United? Do you actually think that this is the right move for them to be making? Oh, heck yeah. We've been talking about how weak their midfield has been all season and for me it's not like for me you can completely take out the whole United brand from this equation because all it really comes down to is a player and a manager who have done amazing things before in the past and they're just gonna try and do it again in a new situation in a new league that's all it really comes down to you can pretty much strip everything else away yeah. Yeah, I guess um just from a from an investing perspective. <laughs> it's interesting that I call it that. But from an investing perspective, I think United are going very heavy and quite quickly on this Dutch strategy. They're getting their top Dutch manager in. They've got Donny van der Beek coming back. They're getting De Jong I'm just noticing this trend towards going going hard on the Dutch style of football. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. That could work absolute wonders for them because that's ex exactly what they're missing is an identity right now. Um, they've lost that Man United identity 
and they could get it back by doing that. But the problem is if they commit to this so quick, so hard, and it doesn't work, then they're back to square one. So I think they're taking a bit of a risky approach by going all in with that. But on the other hand, like you said, he's a great player. Um, Ten Hag's a great manager. They'll have good chemistry. He'll have good chemistry with Van Der Beek if he gets minutes, which he probably will under Ten Hag. So, yeah, honestly, I think maybe for the first time in a while, I think that's a good, really good signing for United. <laughs> Watch them screw it up. Yeah, and what I noticed you you were telling me something earlier about a falling out between Ten Hag and Ragnick. What's what's exactly happened here? Yeah, so I'll go over this quickly. I think, well, so we all understand the situation is Ragnick has come in as a caretaker manager of sorts or an interim manager, and the idea is that he's going to continue on after the season as a consultant of sorts uh, while Eric Ten Hag is the fully-fledged manager of Manchester United. I think that deal or that arrangement is currently on well yeah it's i don't think it's going to go ahead because ten hag and ragnick don't seem to be getting along i think there were there were reports of uh conversations being cut short between them because there there isn't enough of an agreement um and i think yeah we'll just have to watch that space i i don't know how much of an effect that's going to have on the club, on the players as a whole, because at the end of the day, Ragnick as a manager has been, well, shit. (laughs) And (laughs) there wasn't really any, any other way to put that. And Eric Ten Hag is going to want to come in and stamp his authority on the club and the squad. So honestly, it might be for the best to not have too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah, uh, I think I think that's wise. So basically what you're saying is that there's just rumours that there's been a bit of a falling out and they're not quite seeing eye to eye. Yeah, pretty much. Interesting. Well, yeah, I fully agree about the not having too many cooks in the kitchen. I mean, I think if Ragnick had... If the, I think if the successor to Ragnick was someone who had a very, very, very similar style of football... Um, then it would make a lot more sense for Ragnick to stay in as a consultant. I don't really see the value add when you've got Ten Hag now as your manager. And I think they really need to just give Ten Hag the ball to roll with here um, and not have Ragnick kind of looking over his shoulder and controlling elements, which will ultimately just lead to the demise and arguments and irritations. Yeah, I agree. I guess the last thing to cover off is Declan Rice and some of the contracts that are being thrown his way from West Ham. Yeah, so West Ham, there's been a lot of rumours that there's going to be some big clubs making Rice an offer this summer. And none of us are surprised. He's an, He's a great midfielder. He's topping a lot of the stats. Um, and near the top. he's English. And he's English. So, of course, they love him. Um, and they'll happily pay double what they rightfully should, as the statistics show. <laughs> um, so, what's actually happened? And I can't confirm if this is true, but I, I saw it in a couple of places today. Is West Ham have made Declan Rice an eight-year contract offer for 200 and fifty thousand pounds a week to ward. Yep, to try ward nuts. off all other offers this summer. That's nuts. Do they even have that much money? <laughs> See, dude, I just don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, if if that ends up happening, Salah is looking at <laughs> Liverpool and being like, "Bro." <laughs> uh. That's yeah, because like Liverpool definitely have more money, and Salah's not asking for anything too unreasonable. Although he should probably hit his form while trying to bargain. With well, him. yeah, I I said that he'd had a drop in form. The man still hit, I think, like thirty goals this season and twelve assists. So, yeah, yeah, you can't <laughs> complain too much. <laughs> but yeah, if honestly, I think if Rice, even if he does sign a massive contract with West Ham, a if he's a smart boy, 
he won't let any of that really sway any decision he makes around moving to a bigger club with more resources, yada yada. I think if anything, it just kind of gives him a bit more security. Mm. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I think honestly he's been very smart so far in not jumping to a big bigger club, I should say. Um, not going to the likes of United or into Spurs or even to Arsenal. I think it's smart because when you go when you're in right now, it's like it's like the difference between being the smartest kid in the dumb class versus the dumbest kid in the smart class. And you can actually benefit yourself a lot more when you're the smartest kid in the dumb class because you feel good and you're motivated. And so even though you might not reach as high a peaks as you could in the smart class, you're not rushing into it. And I, I just think that's a pretty good metaphor <laughs> for what Rice is doing. He is being really comfortable in West Ham. West Ham is one of the best team, well, the best of the rest. Uh, they are the best of the rest. And so he's getting great first team minutes there. He's developing as a player. I think that at his age, he's what, 24 or is he 25? I think he's about 24. Yeah, so at his age, which is our age, there's no need to be trying to save these big clubs. If he was at United, he'd be getting blamed every time they lose. If he was at Spurs, he would be given a mountain of pressure to be assisting Harry Kane, etc. Like, he doesn't need that stress. He's been smart to stay at West Ham and develop his football and just get better and better. And I think, honestly, if I was him, I still wouldn't move to... Because I know United's one of the big bidders here. I still wouldn't move. I'd wait it out two more seasons because there's he's getting English call-ups. He's doing well. What really is the rush to get to a big club? He's 23 and he's captain of a high to mid-table team in the Premier League. So he's doing pretty well for himself. And like you say, I think he's getting English call-ups because he stands out more in that team. So it's it's helping him in that sense as well. Exactly. And he's playing in a he's playing in a style of football that suits him. He, like I think a lot of players don't really realize when they move teams, they're gonna have to change a lot of the way they play. Like Jack Grealish. Yeah, totally. I think that wraps it up then for a bit of transfer news. So we've got the dangerous, the scary, the intimidating Haaland definitely coming to City. We're essentially just waiting for an official statement from City. On that, Jesus looks to be lined up for Arsenal. Man United looking for maybe a Dutch central midfield next season. And Grealish might be on his way out from City and Declan Rice could be cashing in some big checks by the sounds of things. Welcome back. And we are just a few hours away from a huge match for Arsenal and Tottenham. Will Arsenal get Champions League football back at, it just feels right to say White Hart Lane, but it's not. It's, <laughs> it's Tottenham not Hotspur what? Stadium. But I'm yeah. going to call it White Hart Lane. Or will Tottenham Hotspur put a dent in Arsenal's hopes of returning to the Champions League and potentially steal that fourth place spot, depending on how the next couple of games go? This is one of the biggest game of the seasons for both of those teams. In fact, it might be the biggest I am on the edge of my seat. I feel like this is the Royal Rumble. Let's get ready to rumble. I want to see the players fighting. I cannot wait for this. It's 4.45 a.m. and I'll be waking up early at 4.30. Delisha, you're as excited as I am. <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> I'm not that pumped for it. <laughs> but I'm pretty excited. I think this is. these are two teams. Obviously, we've, we've talked about it a lot. Tottenham have been a bit up and down, but they had some a good performance against Liverpool. Um, and they also had, who did they play last? Why am I forgetting this? Um, they had a, oh, sorry. And then, yeah, so they're coming off pretty much dominating Liverpool. I'll, I'll even concede to that. And Arsenal have had a few really good games on the trot. So I think two good teams coming together. It'd be a clash of some informed players. We've got, a front three of Kulisevsky, Kane and Son trying to get at 
what's been a relatively solid def- Arsenal defence in the past few weeks. And then we've got Nketiah who's coming off two goals. Martinelli who's always really exciting. Um, and then Odegaard who's been in the form of his life as we've said previously since, well, yeah, since late last year. So lots of really good players on both sides of the football and hopefully it's it's a pretty open, pretty entertaining game. Yeah, I can only hope it's going to be open and entertaining. And um, I think the the natural question here is how do you see this playing out? And I, I feel like we're going to have two slightly different views, but uh, I'm interested to find out. I mean, I, I think this is going to be pretty straightforward in that Arsenal are going into this with A, an elite mentality. We... We really, really shine when we go and play at Tottenham and there's something on the line. It's been demonstrated twice. We've won the league at White Hart Lane. So I think that that is going to be in these players' minds because the players on this pitch were little kids watching Thierry Henry do it back in the day. And they want to replicate that same dream by getting Arsenal back into the Champions League. So I think in terms of a mentality, it's very hard to beat what some of these youngsters are going to have going onto the pitch. And secondly, we're in good form. We moving the ball around beautifully. We are progressing it up the field. Everyone is confident, making themselves available, taking on players, making those key passes. Erdegaard is producing key passes left, right, and center. We are ready to win the game. But the problem is we don't have the difference makers. Kane and Son are those difference makers who, even if Spurs play a worse game and we dominate, all it takes is a glimmer of hope and a couple of good balls near the box and Kane and Son can score and get a 2-1 or something victory for Spurs. So I'm really nervous because I know that I re- know in my heart that we're going to play better than them, but I don't think that that's enough to win. So I'm quite scared. Yeah, you talk about difference makers. It's essentially what Kane and Son did against City only about a month and a half ago, right? When... They weren't. They were being outplayed by City, but they just have special players who can get goals to to keep the team in a game and and to get a result from a game. And they've been doing it week in week out for the past few weeks. And people like that just turn up. I think Kane's record against you guys in particular is just insane. He always just he just wants to turn up, and he does, which is. Yeah, I, I don't know how he does it. He just, just finds <laughs> a way against Arsenal. Um, but then again, Josef Kulisevsky, I think everyone's been talking about how well Luis Diaz has sort of been signed midway through the season and hit the ground running. But Kulisevsky deserves to be in that in that conversation as well. Um, he's been a bit of a live wire for them and kind of helped reinvigorate Kane and Son as well um, because they're been going through a bit of a dip themselves midway through the season mm. yeah uh, I think I think that example you gave at the start there of them against Man City is exactly what I'm worried about um, mm. so all I can literally all I can do is put on my lucky jersey hope and pray um, <laughs> so that's what I'm going to be doing but the other thing that I love to see is Saka came out and said I think it was to the media. It was in an interview um, over this last week. He said that he hasn't scored away at Tottenham yet, and he wants to change that. And I just think it's so cool. You've got this, he's what, 20? He's still 20, right? You've got this Mm. 20-year-old who isn't coming out saying he hopes his team will win. He isn't coming out saying, like, I just want to have a good game. He's backing himself. He thinks he's going to score and he wants to change his record. And I love that. That's that's this mentality I'm talking about, this confidence, this almost a bit of an ego, which we're able to now have because the players just believe in themselves and they believe in Arteta's vision. So I, I think with that mentality, it should be enough. And we'll just have to see exactly how it plays out. Speaking of Arteta's vision, this is the first time that Arteta and Conte are coming up against each other as managers. So I think that's obviously a very important element to this as well, is about 
the tactics, the weaknesses that they see in each other's teams and how they go about attacking those weaknesses and, and using the players that they have at their disposal. Um, I, I don't see either manager doing anything drastically different to how they normally play, but there's always a chance of it, and we'll, we'll see if there are any surprises with the starting lineups and strategies could be a key part of the game too. Mm. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't. I don't see any any big surprises happening. I'm I'm unsure about Ben White. Um, he's supposed to be okay and back from injury to play against Spurs today. But if not, I'm actually pretty confident in Rob Holding. Um, we've got him and Gabriel who would be paired up together, full head of hair on both, straight from Turkey. So um, if they does not bond them together as centre backs, I don't know what will. Oh my word! <laughs> <laughs> if there's anything a centre back pairing needed, <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know that 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 piece of commentary right there is similar to I don't know if you've ever seen. In, there's this famous clip of a UFC fight where I think it was Joe Rogan he was commentating, and there was no need for this to be said, but he he was like it was like the middle of round one, nothing much was happening. They were kind of just sparring off at that point and Joe Rogan said and both of these fighters have been engaged in custody battles with their exes to keep their children <laughs> it's like it's like it's interesting to know but why is that relevant at this point in time they're just letting it out on each other clearly but <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah yeah it um, should be a good game though I'm looking forward to it mm, and I don't remember did we do a prediction for this game last podcast don't believe we did. Um, well, what is your score time. prediction? I'm I'm gonna be. Oh, how can I even say optimistic? I was gonna say optimistic, but I really don't care that much. Um, I think it's gonna be a two-one win to Arsenal, and I hope Saka scores the winner. Hmm. Uh, just, just you know, I agree with that. I was going to say the exact same thing. So now I'm going to have to be a bit different. I'm going to say 3-1, but Saka to score the second goal, which will put us ahead. Yeah, I, I definitely see Tottenham getting at least one, but I'll be optimistic and maybe they're off the game. Yeah, that's that's all we can really hope, isn't it? <laughs> but um, speaking of predictions, it's about time we get back to the quick fire. <laughs> Quick fire prediction time. Here we go. And as always, just a quick wrap up on results from game week 36. David Saul, you'll be happy to hear that you've done better than me for two weeks running now. Wow. Crazy. Crazy scenes over here at the predictions tracker. Uh, you got... <laughs> You got seven out of ten right last week, which is insane numbers. And I, on the other hand, kind of tanked, to be honest. Uh, I got six wrong and only four right. So I I need to take a long, hard look at myself and, <laughs> um, <laughs> and try and be better in the next three minutes. Yeah, delicious. Um, no, just be better. Like when you go to work tomorrow morning, it's, you need to just put a paper bag over your head. Cut a couple of eye holes in it, and if, if anyone asks, why do you have a paper bag on your head? You tell them, you need to be better, and it is your your way of teaching yourself a lesson. 100%. I work at a pretty loose company, so they'd probably be on board with that. <laughs> they'd probably count you as part of the diversity quota for people with bags on their heads. I'm not sure where you were going with that, but... <laughs> 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 Anywho... Quick fire time. We're going for predictions on the Aston Villa Crystal Palace game. Ooh, okay. Aston Villa Crystal Palace. Um, I've got bad news for you. Wait, no, I do not. I thought that game was cancelled. It is not cancelled. <laughs> Never mind. Um, Aston Villa Crystal Palace. I'm going to say 2-1 Crystal Palace. Oh, I've gone two one the other way. Really? What's made you say that? Villa actually played really well against us, 
And I think Crystal Palace, even though they got the win in their last game, um, Villa have been playing some really good attacking football. So back them to get the win there. Interesting. Everton, Brentford. I'm going to have to say this is a Brentford win. I see this being a 3-1 to Brentford. Not at all. Everton are in a great run of form. I like I, I like their passion. I like how the fans are showing up and supporting the players and giving this positive energy. And I think they're going to send that positive energy straight onto the pitch to their players. And it's going to be 3-1 to Everton. We're just mirroring each other today. It's nuts. <laughs> uh, next up is Leeds against Brighton. This is a big game for Leeds. It is a big game for Leeds. Um, but I don't see them beating Brighton, especially with two of their players out because of the red card. Um, so I'm going to say Brighton 2-0. Mate, you copycat you. I just typed that in for myself. Uh, pretty much the same sentiment, I think. Leeds will probably get another red card, to be honest. <laughs> can, they, can they go for the three-peat? <laughs> There's probably some good odds lines on that, <laughs> if, if you're a betting man or woman. Which I am, so I'm going to take a look into that right after this. <laughs> um, Man U Chelsea, here we go. Mm. I think Man U turn it back on. I can see this being a 2-2. Two, two. Um, hold on, where are you seeing Man U versus Chelsea? <laughs> I'm just going off the original um, predictions, so we might have to leave that one off. Yeah. Oh, because that, that, that was played in advance. That's right. That's right, yeah. Completely my fault. We'll move on to... Uh, that one's probably been played as... Oh, no, Arsenal-Newcastle, which is yep. going to be after the Tottenham-Arsenal game. Yeah, I think that that's going to be... Uh, it's going to be tough for us, actually. I think Newcastle are going to put up a fight, so I'm actually going to just say 1-0 to Arsenal. Ooh. I've gone for 2-1 to Arsenal. I think Newcastle definitely getting a goal here. Uh, sorry, you've got one all there. Next up, we have Southampton, Liverpool. Really need another three points here. So I'm going to say 2-0, hopefully. Oh, I'm backing you more than you are. Uh, I'm saying 4-0. I just really hope we keep a clean sheet. We need that right actually, now. Actually, you just jinxed it, which is why I'm going to say 4-1. James Ward-Prowse is scoring a screamer of a free kick because that's all he does. <laughs> Doesn't do anything else. <laughs> Tottenham Think versus Burnley. Um, thinking? It has to be a Tottenham win for me. Uh, honestly, I'm a... I'm going to say I agree because when Arsenal beat them, they're going to come back hungry. So I'm going to say 3-0 Tottenham. Nice. I said the same. Um, Next up, we got Watford-Leicester. Ooh, honestly, um, Watford are in... Aren't they still in the worst form in Europe? Are they? Uh, well, they got a stat. draw instead of a, a, a loss. Whereas Leicester... Actually, are also in poor form. They've won one, draw, lost two, and drawn two. I'm going to say draw. I'm actually going to say two all. Damn. I've gone for a 1 0 Leicester win. I think it's Watford. Surely Leicester come through here <laughs> with at least a 1 0. We've got West Ham City. I'm again, I have to be optimistic here and say 1 1. Well, some resemblance of a draw. I'm going to be more so, optimistic than you. Really? Yeah. Um, I'm going to say West Ham win 1-0. I will take that any day of the week. I just I just get this feeling. City always have these odd games where they're playing away and they don't quite show up. And I feel like this is going to be one of them because they've. I feel like they're going to be feeling a little bit too comfortable three points ahead. And West Ham are going to take advantage. So because the West Ham are hungry, they want that, they want that Europa League spot. So yeah, I'm going to go one nil West Ham. Well, I hope you, my friend, are bang on the money. Because that would help with goal difference too. <laughs> <laughs> Very Points true. are more important though. 
And last, but certainly not least, in the game week of 37 of the 2022 season, <laughs> Wolves against Norwich. I've gone for a 2-0 win to the Wolves here. Yeah, I mean, Wolves are kind of just out of the running now for that Europa League spot. Um, oh, sorry, Conference League spot, I should say. So, I do... Th- oh. But Norwich are relegated. So basically, it's two teams with nothing to play for. Um, so yeah, I guess I'm going to go for Wolves. I'm going to say 1-0. No, I'm going to say 3-0. They're going to send Norwich back to the championship <laughs> in style. Uh, I'm not sure Norwich fans would see it that way. But that wraps it up. That is our Game Week 37 predictions. And that does it for another episode of the Part-Time Gaffers. Thank you for listening. And if you're in Sydney, you may catch Delish and I at a pub in maybe eight hours. So we look (laughs) forward to seeing you there. Until next time. See ya.